Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Good morning again. We, um, we have a special treat today. Um, you know, I say this, I, I hope this is heard in the right way. Um, we don't have a lot of guest speakers at Res. Um, that's an intentional. Um, we're just very careful um, because we feel like, and this is part of some of the things we're going to be talking to you about as we look to expand our eldership here at Res Church is that part of the responsibility of elders is to uh, oversee the church in terms of guarding against false doctrine. And, uh, and so we, uh, we're very careful when we invite somebody to speak. And, um, you know, the guy that's coming to speak today, a lot of you know his son, Cody, who plays guitar uh, for us here at Res Church? Uh, don't let that taint your expectations. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Cody, and we all love Cody, don't we? Uh-huh, we all love Cody. Uh, well, his parents are here. Uh, Stan and Pam Fields are visiting, and Stan, um, he has a really amazing testimony. God's doing some amazing things in his life right now. Uh, We're not going to hear a story that is from years past in his life. We're going to hear a story that's very present and very real. Uh, But I have been so just blown away, really, um, by the way he has rooted his thinking and his feeling and how he's walked through a very difficult season of his life. He's rooted his thinking and his feeling in Scripture and how he's responded to the circumstances that he's been dealing with. I've just been so impressed with with how he's done that and how he's articulated uh, his understanding of what God's doing in his life and what God's showing him, what God's teaching him. And so I I invited him to come and share this because I heard the story first when um, I'm on a podcast with Cody and and Stan came on and told the the story on his podcast. And I was like, you've got to come to Rez and tell this story. And I, I just believe that if you're here today and you're going through some difficult circumstances, you're struggling, you're like, you know, a lot of what we sang about today, you're like, how do I, how do I really lean into that, into these truths that we found the one who saves us, that the spirit of the living God is working? How do I lean into that when I'm going through what I'm going through? I think today's message is going to encourage you in a major major way. So I want you to welcome this guy as a, a someone who's going to come and teach and break open the word of life for us today. Stan Fields as he comes. Would you welcome him? Is this thing on? Hey. Hello, Rez family. I, I call you family on purpose. Number one, some of them are actually in the room, and we do love Cody. I am uh, contractually obligated to do so. <laughs> but no, we're very proud of Cody and, and of Kristen and, uh, and all that they uh, represent. We're very proud of them. Um, 
if you will, while, while I'm while I'm kind of rambling here just a little bit, if you will, I know I know this church is a Bible believing church, and I know that because I listen to your sermons every week from Bradley and Keith, and uh, Bradley is normally the guy who sets you up, and then Keith is the one who punches you in the throat, <laughs> and you all go tumbling down. But turn to Philippians one, Philippians chapter one. We'll get there in just a minute, and I, I do want to say thank you, Bradley, for. Uh, letting me come and speak, and, uh, and I wonder if, if the folks sitting in the chairs out there in this beautifully newly renovated uh, auditorium recognize the gift that you have in your pastors. Bradley and Keith are just absolutely outstanding, and how really rare, what you have is really rare. Um, in today's American churches, you get a lot of self-help and a lot of, uh, you know, self-identity, self-worth. But when you really look at the scripture, it really should not be anything about you. It should be about the greatness of God. And I believe your pastors teach that tremendously. And I, just to give you an idea of how intertwined my family is living in Corinth, Mississippi now, to this family... Uh, like Bradley said, he's on a podcast with Cody, and from this situation I'm going to describe, somehow, I don't know how, uh, a podcast uh, spun from my own uh, thing, and a fellow, a friend of mine, uh, Trevor, and I started a podcast all, all seven days. This is not a plug for all seven days, but you're welcome to listen. And, uh, but there was a, we, what we do is we take questions from people who listen, and a question came in from a wife. And I didn't feel qualified to answer it because I'm not one. But I have one, so I invited Pam to come on and uh, to answer this question. And she did. She did a great job with it. But when we're getting ready to record it, I sent her a text message. And I think we have it on the screen. Uh, the first text message I sent was just a reminder that said, hey, we're going to be recording this Monday for the podcast. And she replied with this picture. And I can't know if you can see that, but that's a picture of her iPad, and that's in this auditorium, and she's watching Bradley teach on Romans. And then she sent this text message, okay, now don't interrupt my Bradley time. <laughs> I took that picture immediately, and I sent it to Cody, and he replied with this. So within 60 seconds, two family members, I had interrupted their Bradley time. <laughs> so that's how intertwined we are. And uh, so, uh, so Bradley, anything, uh, I, I realize this is quite the honor to be up here, and you don't share this pulpit with, with many people. So the good news is, is I'll be out of town next weekend, and you can fix anything that I screw up up here. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin... In verse 19, we're going to go through verse 26. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Father, we, uh, we come to you now asking for your help as we break open the word now and look at it closely and determine from you how we should live our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would come now and empower me to speak your word in truth and open the ears of these people to listen, to see your light, to see your glory in it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, in about the mid-90s, I think, uh, Focus on the Family came out with a DVD series called The Truth Project. Many of you may have seen it, may have heard of it. It was, in my opinion, excellent. Um, Dr. Dale Tackett taught this class, and the studio was kind of set up as a classroom, and the students were on these risers on one side, and he had, for the time, really state-of-the-art teaching equipment with screens and all that kind of stuff, you know. And... Uh, at the beginning of the, of the lessons, he talked about a, uh, a time when he was in seminary and a professor got up in front of his class and he said he asked them a haunting question. And ever since he'd heard that question, it had continued to haunt him. And he's made the, a funny statement. He said, and because I don't want to be haunted alone, I want to ask you the same question. And he asked the question, and he was right. It was a very haunting question. And I, like him, don't want to be haunted alone. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Here's the question. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real because you can say that you believe something, right? But the way you live really shows what you really believe is real. There's a difference between what you say you believe and the way you live your life that shows what you believe is real. So now that you're haunted with me, Let's think about that question for just a little while. I believe, one of my other core beliefs is I believe that God prepares us for things. If something big is coming in your life, I don't, I don't believe most of the time, he could, but I don't believe most of the time he just drops these big events on you without some sort of preparation. And I, and I go to the scripture to see this in the life of David. If you remember David uh, being anointed king but not yet king is a shepherd and he is out in the field taking care of the sheep, and the Israelites are gone off to battle. And his father, Jesse, comes to him and says, I need you to go check on your brothers. Take them some lunch or whatever, but go check and bring back a report. So David goes, and he goes, and he sees that not much is happening. you got the Israelites on one side. you got the Philistines on the other. And what's happening in the middle? Goliath is there, right? 
and he's taunting the Israelite army. And he's looking for some single person to come out and fight him, and that one fight will determine who wins the battle, right? And, and this has been going on for like 40 days. And David sees this, and he's really livid. He is upset. He cannot believe that the Israelite army, the armies of the living God, are kowtowing to this one person. And he says, I'll do it. I'll go fight him. He goes before Saul. Saul tries to put his armor on him. The armor doesn't fit. And David takes it off, and he says, listen, king. I was a shepherd boy out in the field with a sheep, and a lion or a bear would come and steal a sheep. And I would go, and I would rescue the sheep, and if the lion or the bear turned on me, I'd kill it with my bare hands. And then he makes this statement. And the same God who delivered me from the lion and from the bear will deliver me from this giant. David recognized from the preparation that God had brought him through, fighting lions and bears, killing them with his bare hands. It's not something I want to take on, right? But he did it, but he recognized that it was through the Spirit of God that allowed him to do that. And it gave him so much confidence that he stood before a giant with a sack of rocks and a slingshot. And the rest is history. The giant fell. So I believe that God prepares us for things that are coming in our lives. And I believe God used this text that we just read for me. I don't know if you have this here. I think you might. Some sort of an introductory class. If, if new members or new people come and they're interested in being a part of this church and serving, uh, we, have, uh, we, we attend a church called Church of the Crossroads in Mississippi, and we have this four-week class New people come or people that are interested in joining a, a serve team will come and we'll take four weeks and teach them about how the church is structured. Uh, we'll teach them uh, a little bit about themselves, a personality test. Uh, they'll learn, so they'll learn something about themselves and how God's wired them, so how they might be best fit to serve. And then we teach them a, a few things about leadership, what that means, and then we ask them to join a serve team. And that fourth week, I teach. And it's meant, of course, to be a little bit inspirational. We want to, we want to give them some, you know, reason, some, some God-centered, spirit-led reason to walk into a service opportunity. And I used that text as part of that lesson for about a year and a half. I taught this text every month for a year and a half. So I want to give you a little bit of snippet of how I taught it, and then show you how it prepared me for what was next. So if we look at what Paul is going through here, first of all, we have to understand he wrote this text from prison. And from prison, there's two very real possibilities set before him, right? He's either going to be acquitted of some trumped-up charge and set free, or he could be executed at any moment. This is very real for Paul. So when you read this verse, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
You need to understand that Paul, when he talks about being delivered, most of us, when we think about being delivered from a crisis, means we just get to go back to normal life. Paul's not talking about getting set free from prison so he can go sit in his recliner with his remote and ESPN, right? He's talking about his deliverance for him is not being ashamed of Christ. And whether he lives or whether he dies, he wants God to be honored. He wants God to get the glory from whatever happens from that point forward. It's very different than the way we think most of the time. So how does that work? How do we take that phrase, whether we live or whether we die, we want Christ to be honored in our body? It's very difficult to think about because most of us aren't there. Most of us don't have that, those two possibilities in front of us. And I think the hardest one to think about is how do I honor Christ in my body when I die? Because I thought that when you died, it was over, right? You, you lose everything, right? Everything you've worked for your entire life is gone in an instant. Your career is over. Your savings are gone. Your house, your car, your family, your barns, your bigger barns, they're gone. Like now, they're, they're gone. So how do you honor Christ in your body when that happens? How do you give God glory when you die? Well, I'm so thankful that Paul answers the question. He doesn't leave us hanging it there. So how do I honor God in my body by death? Well, to die is gain. To die is gain? I thought I just lost everything. What are you talking about, Paul? <laughs> Thank God. We can keep reading, and he answers that question too. It is my desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Far better to be with Christ than to have family, to have friends, to have job, to have possessions. It's far better to be with Christ. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? I believe it was Jesus who said, if you love Father, or mother more than me, or son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Is it far better? It's far better to be with Christ than to even be with family. But I look around this room, I think most of you are still awake, and I see eyes open, I see people breathing, so we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So where's the other side of the equation come in? Well, now we have to honor Christ in our life by living. Honor Christ in your body by life. Well, how does that work? Well, Paul answers that question too, and thank God, it's the same answer. To live 
is Christ. To live is Christ. What does that look like? How do you live that out? How does that work? How does that faith come into being in your life? Well, he tells us, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor. Not just labor, but fruitful labor. Right? How does that work? What does that look like? What kind of labor are we talking about, Paul? Well, he tells us, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, and here it comes, for your progress and joy in the faith. Do you see what Paul is working for here? What his fruitful labor is? It's for you. It's so that your faith will grow and that your satisfaction in Christ will be complete that your happiness, that your joy, that your fullness of joy that Christ offers is just that. So that when you come to the end of your life, you're so excited that you're going to get more of Christ, that you see death as gain. But until then, your life is all about growing yours and everyone around you's faith so that their joy can be completed in your joy when you're coming together again. Do you see that? Live to grow each other. Live to increase each other's joy in Christ so that heaven can be fuller and it gets better because he's there and you're with him. That's not all I taught, but that was the main point of what I taught. That our purpose in serving is not just to help someone open a door, not just to hand them a worship guide, not just to help them park their car to welcome them in, but that it's to grow their faith and to increase their joy in Christ. And so that at the end of life, we can see Christ as better than anything we have here. So we taught that for 18 months, and that was really embedded into my heart and into my brain and then last Thanksgiving came and Cody and Kristen came to see us in Mississippi and we had an awesome time we and when I say awesome time we ate a lot okay (laughs) we had so much to eat you know, the traditional Thanksgiving deal, you know, turkey, dressing, all that kind of stuff. But the Saturday after Thanksgiving, there's a little restaurant. We live right in the northeastern corner of Mississippi. We're about five miles from Tennessee. And there's a little restaurant up there called JR Steakhouse. And we drove up there the Saturday after Thanksgiving for dinner. I'm telling you, come see us. We will give you a great steak. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean... I think that that steak was the will of God, absolutely. (laughs) Ribeye steak cooked to perfection, baked potato, salad, fried shrimp, uh, strawberry butter on rolls, dessert. Can I tell you, there was nothing left on my plate. And Cody said, well, you know, it's not gluttony if you're feasting. And I said, amen, and took another bite. 
It was great. I loved it. We ate it, and I ate it all. I'm talking about peel of the potato. It was nothing left. Stuffed. I was so full. Had such a great time. Then midnight happened that night. And I woke up at midnight, a very sharp pain in my lower right side. Very sharp. And I thought, well, I'm 53. I'm not supposed to eat like that anymore. So I said, it's gas or it's indigestion. So I got up. I took a Pepsid for me. I took a Gas X for Pam. <laughs> I'm a good husband. And uh, so I tried to lay back down, tried to go back to sleep. By 2 in the morning, it was worse. It was not any better. No sleep uh, and just very, very sharp pain. And I woke Pam up and I said, I think we need to go to the ER. I think I may have appendicitis. So she fumbles around, gets herself ready. We go to the ER. They get me in and they kind of, you know, they do the initial checkout stuff. And uh, they give me a shot for the pain, which in 15 minutes, the pain was gone. It was wonderful. Um, I'm not, you know, advocating drug use, but I am saying that when medical professionals apply it correctly, it's a good thing. And then they uh, said, well, we want to go do a CT scan, look at your appendix and see if that's what it is. We think that's probably what it is. And uh, so they took me back, got the CT scan. And uh, so we're back in the room and we're waiting and we're just kind of, you know, chilling. Everything's kind of cool. And then the doctor comes in. He has not a good look on his face. And he says, well, there is good news. Your appendix looks just fine. And we do think there was a kink in your bowel, and that's what caused the pain. But that looks like it's, it's better. But we have seen a mass in your left kidney. And we're putting a team together to find out what we should do next. And he turned around and he left. And two thoughts hit me immediately. And the first was Philippians 1.19. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And by deliverance, I did not mean a recliner, remote control, and ESPN. And the second thought that hit me was, I have to do this right. That Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And Pam looked at me and she said, who do you want to tell? And I said, tell everybody. Everybody. Get as many people praying as you can. Now, this is one of my little pet peeves in that a lot of people get news similar to this, and rather than just rush people to prayer, they want to hold it, maybe get more details, maybe it's not as bad as I think, maybe, maybe, it'll, maybe this will just go away, and nobody knows, and you bear this alone. But my philosophy from Paul that the only way I was going to get deliverance was through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So I said, get everybody praying. Now, you have to understand the why behind it. 
Because another belief that I have is that God is sovereign. I believe God's in control. He has seen the beginning to the end. There's nothing that is taking him by surprise. There's nothing that he says, oh, I didn't see that coming. There is no plan B. There is only plan A with God. And he, he has set all this up for a purpose. So the end is already done. I just don't know what it is yet. So you may ask the question, well, then what's the point in praying? If it's not going to change anything at the end, what's the point in praying? Well, it does change things. It changes me. It changes you, right? Because God's will, I mean, if anybody could have gotten God to change his mind about something, it would have been Jesus, right? And he said, not my will, but yours be done. So what I really need right now is to line up with God's will. And you need to line up with God's will. And prayer will do that, right? And that honors God in your body while you live. And the other thing that it does is it gets us, the created, asking the creator for good gifts that we cannot provide for ourselves, which also gives him glory. So the more people we can get praying and asking God for the things that we cannot do for ourselves, the more glory he gets, right? So we get people praying. And we have friends from Washington State and Seattle praying all the way across the country. And the most incredible things start happening. First of all, we have a, a friend that goes to church with us. His name is Alan. He's actually a missionary to Haiti. He goes in and out about every month. Right now, it's pretty unrestful there. Some prayers for Haiti would be appreciated. There's been some times he's had to cancel trips because the violence is so bad. But he has, he's networked all across the country. And now I know Pam and I lived right here in Greer for 28 years, okay? So we're very familiar with this area. Both of our kids were born right over here at Allen Bennett, and they thought it was such a, an egregious event. They built, they're building a car lot there now, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but so... We spent a lot of time in the upstate, right? This, we've probably lived here more time than we've lived in Mississippi. And so, but uh, Alan has a friend who's in Orangeburg. Now, I've been to Orangeburg. I don't know a soul in Orangeburg. And he's talking to this, he's a pastor, and he's talking to him about, you know, several things. But at the end of their co phone calls, they always share prayer requests. And he says, hey, I've got this buddy of mine, and uh, he's, he's been diagnosed with kidney cancer. And the pastor says, oh, wait, is his name Stan Fields? Alan says, yeah. He said, kidney cancer in Corinth, Mississippi? He said, yeah. He said, our church prayed for him Sunday. I don't know a soul in Orangeburg. I couldn't name anybody that I know of that lives in Orangeburg. And people all across the country from Washington State to Orangeburg, South Carolina, praying for me, giving God glory. One other reason I like to get a lot of people praying is the Bible says that the prayer of the righteous are powerful and effective. Well, my problem is, is I don't know, looking out here, I don't know which one of you are righteous. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I'm just trying to increase my odds, right? I'm just trying to get the pool bigger. <laughs> but I also know that I have to live this right. I have to live this right. And I have to ask myself, Stan, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Will you trust God in this and know whatever the outcome is, that he'll get the glory? Will you live for Christ, but if called home, will you see it as gain? And as Paul's taught us, living instead of dying, being set free from prison instead of being executed, being healed instead of succumbing to a disease is not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is God's glory. God is the gospel. So praying people from Washington State to Orangeburg, thousands of people praying, here's what happened. Here we go. So I meet with my surgeon, and he looks at the CT scan that they took at the hospital, and I think we've got a picture that he drew for me. This is great. I don't know if you can see this really well, but this is a picture drawn of my kidneys. I know it's personal. <laughs> but so on, the, on your right, so it's like you're looking at my front, right? So that's, that's my left kidney on the far side. And my right kidney is on your right side, obviously. So you will see this big thing that he's grown over the top. That's the tumor. It was 12 centimeters. Uh, so, uh, and he's also, you might see the little circles around the drainage tube from the kidney. He initially thought that the, what he was seeing on the CT scan was lymph nodes that may have been involved. Okay? So that's very serious. When, you know, when cancer gets into the lymph nodes, it spreads very quickly. He said, but the other issue is in the right kidney, there are kidney stones and your drainage tube from the kidney to the bladder has a kink in it. So we have a very real issue here that if the stones break loose, if we take out the left kidney and a stone breaks loose and clogs the right tube, you could go into renal failure immediately, and that's very serious. So he said, what we're going to do is we're going to go in, we're going to do an MRI first. We're going to do an MRI, get a better picture of what's going on. So the MRI revealed a few things. Number one, that the left kidney, the, what he thought were lymph nodes, were not lymph nodes. They were extra blood vessels. Okay? The tumor was so vascular that it had grown its own blood supply. And the lymph nodes were probably not involved, but there's another real issue here, right? And that's bleeding during surgery. So, uh, so he said if the, if the left kidney weren't so bad, we'd deal with the right kidney first. But the left kidney of the tumor is so big, we've got to get it out. And then we'll go back and we'll do business with the right kidney. So uh, the MRI comes back. And uh, so we've got all that new information. And so we schedule surgery for uh, December the 11th, which is a Tuesday in the afternoon, Tuesday at 2 p.m., December the 11th. 
Now, um, so I'm to show up that morning, get prepped for surgery. So the weekend before the surgery, on a Saturday, I get a call. Pam and I are out to lunch, and my surgeon calls. And he said, uh, he, he practices out of Tupelo, Mississippi, home of Elvis, but he also has an office down in Hattiesburg, and on Fridays he drives down to Hattiesburg, which is about a two-hour drive, and he says he uses that time as his quiet time. That got my attention. And he said, I usually try to take this time and just clear my mind. I pray and I meditate on things that I've been reading. And he said, I could not get your case off my mind. So he said, I have a mentor at the Mayo Clinic. How many of you want your surgeon to have a mentor at the Mayo Clinic? <laughs> Amen, right? So he said, I called my mentor and I told him about the extravascular things going on in your kidney. And he said, I had an idea, but I wanted to run by him to see if he thought it was a good idea. And that idea was to do what's called an embolism of the kidney, which means to block the blood flow. They go in, it's kind of like a heart cath, but they stop at the kidney and they insert this disc over the blood vessel that supplies blood to the kidney. And it just stops the blood flow so that when they go in for surgery, there's less risk of bleeding. The, clinic, the Mayo Clinic guy said, absolutely, that's exactly what you should do. So he said, instead of showing up on Tuesday, I want you to show up on Monday morning. We're going to do this embolism, and then we'll do the surgery on Tuesday. So I show up for the embolism, and the surgeon, the other, it's a different surgeon doing this particular procedure, tells me what he's going to do. We're going to go in. We're going to block that blood vessel. It, takes, it doesn't take long. You'll be awake for the whole thing. And so... We go to take care of that. They roll me in. They start the procedure. You're awake for it because you have to, on occasion, take a deep breath, hold it. They squirt some uh, dye in there. They take a picture to make sure everything happened like it was supposed to happen. I take my first deep breath. He says, okay, that one's in there. Take a deep breath. They squirt the dye, and he says, oh, that didn't do anything. But I see some more blood vessels. And instead of one block, it took three. It took three blocks to stop all the blood flow into the kidney. And the surgeon later told Pam that had they not done this, uh, in about a minute, I would have bled out on the table. So we finished that procedure, um, spend the next day hurting because the blood flow is blocked off. The next day... The afternoon, we do the surgery, and not only did they get the blood flow blocked well, but it also shrank everything in there by a third. So what the surgeon was expecting to have a five- to seven-hour surgery took three. He said it was going to be one of my most difficult surgeries all year. This was December, right? And he said it was the easiest one, one of the easiest he'd done. And it all went very well. And in the day after, they had me up walking, which I didn't want to do, but we were up. We were going. And that Friday, I was going home, and Pam never left my side, bless her heart. And 
everything seemed to be going pretty well. In January 23rd, during the first surgery, a stent was inserted into the kidney tube on the right kidney to straighten it out and to make sure that any, if any stones broke loose, that they couldn't clog the tube, right? Because that was a very real concern that they had. So on January 23rd, they go back in, they remove the stent, and they're going to take the stones out. And this is, I don't even know that I've told you this part, Bradley. So the, they go in to do the surgery to take the stones out, and he's got x-ray there. He can see the stones on the x-ray, but he's got the camera in there looking, and he can't find the stones. And he's got a partner in there looking at the screen that he's looking at with the camera, not seeing the stones. But he can see them on the x-ray, but he can't see them in the kidney. And his partner says, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do. And he says, and the doctor, my surgeon said, okay, look right here. There's a little piece that looks like cellophane right here. I think they're behind that. And his partner says, if I were you, I wouldn't touch that. He said, oh, no, they're right here. He said, watch this. And he lasered it open. The thing opened up like a Ziploc bag. All those stones were contained in that little pocket. There was never a chance that those stones could have broken loose to clog anything. Miracle, maybe, providence, absolutely. God was protecting those stones from going anywhere. I believe that. There was no way they could move. And he, they, he zipped that thing open. They all came out. He pulled what he could pull. He crushed the rest. And as of last report, my last PET scan, cancer-free, and the last trip to the surgeon, all the lab work said, he said, if, he, if I didn't know you, I would never know you only had one kidney. All the lab work was perfect. Now, that doesn't mean we're through the journey yet because they still suspect that there could be rogue cells in my body. So we're going through some medical treatment now. You can see part of the results of that already, and you can see them physically because all this two months ago was not white. This is, it's turning all my hair white. I'm okay with it. I think I look old. But there are other side effects to it as well. There's some blistering that happens on my hands and on my feet. Uh, there could be other things that happen down the road. It's a pretty strong medication. It's not chemo, but it's, you know, similar kind of stuff. I get to keep all this white hair, apparently. But, uh, but the treatment continues, and prayers are, are absolutely asked for and appreciated. And we just walk through all of this by the grace of God. Absolutely, by the grace of God. And I wonder, when you hear that phrase, what it means that we're walking through by the grace of God, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, we all think, have a pretty good idea what grace does for us, right? Grace is God's unmerited favor. but I think it has three components to it. Because God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and that's grace. But when we are a child of God, 
His grace comes and offers us the free gift of salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You understand that it is a gift. You don't earn it. That God gives it to you. And just like when God said to creation, let there be light, he's shown his light into your heart so that your heart could see his glory. And that is rebirth. And that's grace. But grace also has another component. Grace is also the power to live the life that he's called you to live. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Grace comes to give you the power to walk the walk that God's leading you through. You're not walking it alone. You are never alone in your hard times, in your storm. God is there with you. And the last part of it is it comes just in time. Just in time. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 or 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he's talking about his thorn in the flesh here. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from coming, but from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul didn't need this grace on the road to Damascus. He needed this grace for the thorn when it came. And it came at just the right time. Now understand that a lot of people don't get the news that I get. And when I was told that the last scan said I was cancer free, what really entered my mind was this. Stan, you don't have to get your affairs in order right now. But you do have to get your affairs in order eventually. See, we have to understand there's not any 200-year-olds in this audience. And there will come a time when we will lose everything here. You're going to have to ask yourself, do you believe that what you believe is really real? For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. 
for that is far better. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? As Pam and I walked this road, sitting in the hospital room for those several days, there would be nurses that would come to our room and say, can we just hang out in here for a little while? They'd been down the hall and patients were swearing at them and throwing things at them and being combative. But they would come to our room and for some reason, (laughs) the reason was grace. They would say, it's just so peaceful in here. And we had the opportunity to minister to nurses and doctors and let them know all the people that were praying for them. And they would just come and just hang out. And it was great. We loved it. Kind of almost hated to go home. And I wonder if some of you out there this morning have gotten some news and are wondering what the outcome is going to be, but you've held it in. You haven't let anybody know yet, or at least a very small number of people know, and they're praying for you, and that's great, but there can be so much more. And I'm wondering, as they go into this song now, if you might want prayer now this morning to share that information with someone else and get more people praying because the more people pray, the more God gets glory. Whatever the outcome, whatever the outcome, you have to understand that the the point of it all is that God gets the glory. Whether you live or whether you die. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. And as they go into the song, if you would like prayer, we would love to meet you up front. We'd love to pray with you and for you and continue that journey with you together. Remember, you are not alone in this. God's grace and his power comes to empower you to walk through this. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Come as they sing. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.